So welcome, Ben, to the uh, Inspire podcast. How are you? Not too bad, thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. Uh, no problem. Looking forward to, uh, to to having a chat with you. Could you, I guess, first of all, just give us a, a little bit of a, a background and introduction to your, your your early years within sport, just to give the, the the viewers a bit of background of you. Yeah, no problem. So, like motion, led to my dream was to be a footballer from an early age. Um, was quite fortunate that. I was probably given a talent at a young age and I went to numerous clubs. I'm from Birmingham, as you could probably tell with my accent. Went to numerous clubs across Birmingham, Aston Villa, Birmingham City, Coventry, Wolverhampton, Wanderers, etc. but could just never really find myself a home. So kept going in on trial, but kept getting rejected. Wasn't wasn't just good enough um, at the time. Um, and then at 12, things took a considerable change. I signed for Cheltenham Town, um, who was in Elite Two. And to be perfectly honest with you, uh, David, I didn't know who Cheltenham Town was. Um, my dad I said you're off to Cheltenham and I was like okay no problem I didn't know who they were it was my dad's decision and I went there and, and it was a brilliant little club and within 12 months I was signed by Stoke City there was numerous clubs that was looking at the time but Stoke City actually bought me 14 and was reportedly one of the most expensive 14 year olds in the country it was the it was quite a nice thing that the now England assistant manager Steve Holland was the guy that actually bought me. He was the academy manager at Stoke at the time, and he was there for around eighteen months while I was there. Um, he then went out to Pastures New and went to Chelsea to manage their under twenty threes, um, and now he's since um, Gareth Southgate's assistant at England. Um, so that was quite nice that someone of that sort of stature rated me quite highly to to purchase me. I I then stayed at Stoke for I think it was around five years throughout all my youth career um, and into my, my late teens and to really when it started to become a business. I then moved from Stoke at the end of my contract, um, something that we'll probably maybe go into a little more detail in a short while, but I'm, I left Stoke and found myself playing for Burton Albion. Again, a Midland side and a, a club that, again, if I'm totally open and honest at the time, I didn't really know who they were as well. They'd just been promoted from the conference. Um, there wasn't a massive club. So I went there and I was there for around three years as well. And then found myself due to a game, um, something we'll touch upon, but due to mental sides, ended up falling out of the game um, and, and signing for a club called Solihull Moors, uh, who are now in the conference. At the time, they was in the conference north when I was there. And and yeah, that, that that's kind of my early early stages of my career, really. Yeah, OK. I guess expectations were put on you from a pretty early age, from, um, you know, pre-teens and then into your teenage years, getting bought for a significant sum of money. And those expectations, I guess, start to start to fall on you and, and, and you're thinking okay this, you're going to be the one you get, you, you're going to be the one that, that makes it and breaks through uh, what stage do you think that that mindset of actually this is now my, my job and I've got to make it work was that when you sort of coming to the end of your time at Stoke or, or not totally honest David I've done a podcast only a few a few weeks months ago in London and I discussed that there I think I think it's only now that I realised that that was my job um, and I know that sounds stupid, but it's because I was out of the game. When I was in the game, I, I didn't ever take it as my job. And, and that was the hard, that was the hardest thing to transition. The fact that you were going from doing something that you love, that you took as a took as a privilege and a hobby, to then having to go in to do that as a as a job and, and, and that transition period it, it, it can be difficult, especially if you're not if you're not used to the environment of work. So for example, at 16, I wasn't used to the environment of working. I've never been, you know, it was okay. I used to go on day release from school 
school and go to training. But there was there was different. It was a different atmosphere. You, you know, you, you was at work um, essentially, and and you had to you had to work and do certain things that you didn't think would come into being a footballer. And that was with the transition that I, I probably found most found most difficult, to be honest. Okay, and and just a, a bit back on on the education side, I guess it was tough for you to focus on on school because you're thinking, well, I'm not really going to need education. Was that something that you did you put any value on that at the time, or did you just think I'm I'm a footballer? I'm not going to lie, I'm sitting here. I don't know how many GCSEs I probably got. I wouldn't probably say an awful lot. Um, I don't really know. I didn't focus on school at all. I think at the age of about 14, as I say. I I was on day release about four times a week, three times a week. So I was probably at school one, maybe two days at a max. And all I was doing was the subjects I wanted to do. As you can imagine, physical education PE was 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 first on the first on the list. So when it comes to actual learning and education, I never I never really looked into it. Um, I never thought about it. I never thought I'd needed it. I think even the school, if I'm totally honest, at the time thought he ain't going to need it. You know, I was 14 and the most expensive 14 year in the country. You know, I had Sky Sports, BBC all these different news articles and papers at my door and so I just never thought my, I think my family was the same I don't think anybody would have ever thought I would have needed it and that's truthful you, you know in my, my time at Stoke there was a change of academic director at the time and, and he actually pulled my dad into the room and said you're not actually allowed legal representation until you're 16 and above because you're classed as a minor and at 16 and above you can take representation but I was about 15 at the time 14, 15 and it was just a year after I'd moved to Stoke and he pulled my dad in and he said has been got representation because we've never had so many inquiries for, um, for a 15 year old lad as we've ever had so I was really on the tongue of most people at the time and people always coming to watch me week in week out and so for my in my mindset that was never ever 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 going to chat oh, that was it I was I was going to be a footballer and, and that was simple yeah no, no I t- t- totally understand that and the, 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 coming, coming on to the sort of changing environments because you talked about you never really found your, your home you you went on trial to a few clubs before you found Stoke and Burton and Sully Hall. How did you uh, how did you cope with sort of walking into a new changing room? Is it something you struggled with in terms of your personality or you're quite a um, life and soul of the party? Yeah, I think I think my personality's always shone through, but I think my personality probably covered up cracks in the fact that I I, I would never be quiet and I would never sit and, and just sit in the corner and feel so like necessarily sorry for myself and won't get involved where whatever situation I'm put in, I will make I will, I will be at the f- forefront of that because that's just my personality I'm quite bubbly I'm quite confident so I've never really gone into my shell I think however like I've said we, sometimes that can be a forefront and, and you can be hiding how you're actually feeling from that and if I'm totally honest I think I think the rejection from numerous clubs and the rejection from Stoke in the end probably had probably had more more of a more of a problem probably affected me more should I say than uh, than I probably anticipated um, at the time I probably thought oh no it's alright he's a young lad Get, get on with it and that because that's what I would have shown on the outset but there's something inside me that wasn't right so that could well be it you know I'm not, not a mental health specialist so I wouldn't really be a, be 100% sure but I, I can only say it would probably have a, a detrimental impact on a young lad being told no so many times yeah and I think I think there's there's something quite petrifying walking into a new change room new work environment not knowing people you're having to stamp your authority on the situation especially when you come in for a sum of money like yourself with expectations put on you and I think it's tough for young you know you look at youngsters now 
know and the amount within the academy system that uh, don't get me wrong the learning skills you know you're learning to communicate with people of all different backgrounds and demographics and I think that that holds you in good stead the respect the time management the dedication there's loads of pluses but it's all un- it all comes down to there's a lot of pressure on on, on young people and, and certainly y- yourself in, in terms of the, the challenges because obviously you've gone in there at 14 you've exited at circa 18 probably not fulfilled your potential in in, in, in fairness with, with with where you you came in at what point in, in those four years did you start to and, and if you could touch on have some of those challenges that you were battling in the background yeah so to be perfectly honest while well, I was at Stoke I never really did I think I got to a point around 16 where Stoke actually started to bring in a lot of foreign boys from overseas yeah. that they, they that's the way that they moved and they they were trying to get boys from down south, et cetera, et cetera. They, they, they kind of expanded on their sort of recruitment. And I was, a, I'm, I've been friends with a lot of players. So one of my good friends, like one of my good friends, not so much now, but at the time was Damari Gray, who's gone on to win the Premier League and moved to Bayer Leverkusen um, in the Bundesliga at the moment. Um, I also, my 18th birthday, shared it with Jack Grealish, who plays for Villa. So I was friends with people that were were starting to move on in the game and I, I was watching them make way and, and starting to see a pathway for them into the professional game and, and this was around 16 and I remember at the time I had I had representation and me and my dad and my representation sat down and I guess at the time the agent probably seen pound signs and for me it was the wrong thing to do but I tried to force a move out of Stoke and I was going to join Birmingham City which for me I'm a Villa fan so for me it was difficult enough to try and get me there and then when I got there to be honest, it was never. I, I always wanted the move to go through. If, if you know, as hard it is, as it is for me to say, I wanted it. You know, I'm down the road. I live in the, by the Licky Hill, so for me, it's down the road. Um, I'm a Birmingham lad, and as I say, Damari was at Birmingham at the time. Quite a few of my friends were there, so I tried to force the move through, and and we agreed. Um, I was going to go there on a three-year deal, so it would have seen me through my apprenticeship, and then you know, it would have been a four because it was a two-year professional contract at the end. But my deal fell through on the last day as a gentleman called Terry Wesley left the club and he moved to West Ham um, with Callum Brady, etc., etc. Um, when they went, and this is just how football can be all about luck as well. Because if that would never have happened. I would have gone to the Blues. However, because that happened, my deal fell through and I had to return back to Stoke. Um, and I guess like any employment and any company that you work for, if you try and go somewhere and then return, it's a little bit sour grapes and, and they kind of left me there until the end of my contract. Not playing much football, not not much involvement. And that's probably then when I started to to take a decline into facing adverse times and I didn't deal well with them. Okay. And you, you talked about the, the, the rejection aspect of it. You, you feel probably played a part, even from, from the younger younger days when mm-hmm. before you had your, 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 your move, there's mm-hmm. been a little bit of, you know, the no, 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 and then you get a yes and then comes quickly. You're thinking you've got a, a, a big move coming to progress your career with, with in, in locally mm-hmm. uh, within Birmingham area and then it doesn't happen. There's another rejection. Do you think this is what then for, forced that, that trigger in you? Was it was it that rejection when you started then to explore things to maybe to fill that void? Yeah, I, I think I think when I moved to Burton Albion then from Stoke, it was a complete contrast in lifestyle. So at Stoke, we went from Clayton Woods, which is a state-of-the-art facility, underground heating, you know, you name it. We had sports scientists, nutritionists, chefs, 
15 kit men, you know, millions of coaches went around the place. It, it was just, it was the perception of being a footballer was what Stoke City was. It, you know, you can't, rock. that is what football was. And, and that's what, you know, the perception is. And when I moved to Burton, it was a complete contrast. Um, we got changed to a working men's club called Marston's, which is a brewery. It had rain coming through the roof. We had one physio with a little physio bag. Um, it was just not, it was like Sunday league. And I, I remember turning up to my first day and I thought, well, what, what, what have I done here? Like, what, surely this isn't right. And it was then when, when I kind of started to really lose my love for football and it just completely went. And then I found myself struggling mentally and I didn't know who to reach out to because my father and my brother, were, it was a case of pull your sleeves up, you're doing something that every boy in the world would love to do. My manager at the time um, was a gentleman called Mike Whitlow who has played for Bolton. He's very old school. He's a lovely bloke, but I didn't feel like I could speak to him. He probably... He would probably know if I told him that would feel very disheartened. I, I felt like it, but I just felt like I couldn't. The representation that I had when I was at Stoke didn't want to know anymore because I was I was dropped down the levels. It wasn't the same impact. I wasn't the same. So for me, kind of had no one. I didn't know where to turn, and I ended up turning to an addiction, which was gambling, which at the time didn't really didn't really make an impact on me. In the fact that I didn't think it would do anything, I, it wasn't the fact that it was trying to fill a void. It was a case of it was giving me a buzz that I wasn't getting anymore from football I guess and and that's one that, that that's probably yeah that's where it, that's where it stems from and that's where it led to really yeah okay and I think I'm, I'm picking up here in terms of you probably you know you you Dan your brother of just you don't feel as if you can communicate with them because I think it's the generation of oh you just 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 get on with it you're doing something that loads of people would love to love to do you you know Mike Whitlow as you say old school defender from Bolton is it, is not probably the most welcoming in terms of that chat and let's face it you're still a young you're still a young man coping with a little bit of rejection you probably need some love confidence arm around your shoulder to tell you how good you are to kick you on again and I can see how you're trying to replace that buzz for the game and the love of the game that you've been fully immersed in for many years and probably put hours and hours in and it's that buzz of, of the gambling and do you feel as if the gambling sort of just took hold of you very very quickly because it wasn't so much the buzz of winning but the feeling of the loss as well and then trying to get it back uh, I, th- I think probably yeah David I think you're probably right I think from from my perspective it, 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 it was never a case of God I needed to have a bet and, and yeah. that, it wasn't like I woke up before God I need to have a bet like it, that was never the case and it never has been it's more a case of getting that it was getting that it was probably just fulfilling that need to get that sort of adrenaline again and, and football wasn't giving me that anymore everything come crashing down you know when you're when you're playing at Stoke as I say everyone around you the local people locally to you, you, you the girls everything you, you're on a high, almighty high and, and that comes mm. crashing down and when it comes crashing down nobody's there for you nobody you're all you're all alone and, and it's how you can if you've got the mental capacity to go again and, and some people don't and I just didn't I, I crumbled and, and gambling probably just hidden hid all the hid all the, the things around me because if I'd win I'd still be able to go out and buy expensive clothes and expensive watches and go on nice holidays because and I'd be able to to live a lifestyle that wasn't that was fake really but I would be able to show the world that I was still living the perception of a footballer which which is sad reality but that's you know the way of society these days is 
it, it turns people to wanting something that's sometimes unattainable. And, and I was trying to live without my, without out of my means for sure. And gambling was was only making that worse because, as I say, when I won, sometimes I could win quite a lot of money, and, and I could do things that I would never be able to do if I wasn't gambling. And, and that can really be a front because then the following week I could lose a lot of money that I was never able to to earn um, in a in a yeah. week. So or, or, or it become a real horrible cycle and. And something that I really didn't know how to break and because and football wasn't going well for me it, that seemed like the only thing that was going right for me at times so yeah it was quite difficult okay and I, and I guess there's the, the the factor as well your pals with the Maui Gray and, mm-hmm. and Jack Grealish who are probably flying financially doing pretty well and you, you there's probably a bit of you that's trying to compete with that lifestyle and, and, and you're kicking around with them and you're probably thinking that the bet can get you you know you, you can you confront it and especially with social media and stuff these days that's a, that, again that's half the reason I think it is I think it was uh, I've, I've always been one I would never ever you know I come from a, a good background and I've got strong morals so I would never have done anything illegally I would never but I was trying to to maintain a lifestyle and it was like but this is the only you know I found out about gambling I, I kind of had a bet and I won like say for example 100 I can't think of my first bets but there's been so many but if I would have bet 20 pound I won 100 for example I thought well, this is easy. I can do that now, and then I'll put two hundred on. And okay, I put two grand on, and, and that's how it kind of got. It kind of thought, okay, I won the first few, and and this might now lead me on to be able to afford things I can't afford, and, and that's what I guess it was. It was trying to live a lifestyle I couldn't afford, and thought that that would be able to fund it, which <laughs> only went one way. Yeah. Okay. And in terms of reaching out, seeking help, did you did you get any help from the PFA on hand? Did you did you did you seek advice from them? What, what where did you go for your help in the end to try and and was there a trigger to say oh I actually need help now uh, yeah so I left I left Burton at the end of my contract continued continued gambling and continued thinking that life was just uh, kind of feeling sorry for myself oh, this is you know this is this the football was ate me up and swallowed me and spat me out and feeling really down and sorry for myself I guess and just continued continued gambling and but my parents Again, it wasn't it wasn't a case if they wasn't supportive. I think they probably didn't know what to do at this particular time, and, and they kind of just said to me, "You need to get a job." And I was thinking, "Hey, like, what do you mean, a like, job? And how do I do? Like, what I'm going to do?" And, and somehow, I remember the one night I was I was uh, I was sat in my mother's lounge, and I was with my my ex girlfriend at the time, and we must have applied for about seventy different jobs just online because I had I, I was doing nothing. And, and I remember going my first ever interview was uh, was at Zizi Restaurant in Harborn via front of house, and I remember the interview and I just come out and I thought there's no chance I've got that I have no idea what I've just done like this just isn't for me and I, I kind of stumbled out of it and I, I, again I, I knew I wouldn't have got it and I didn't get the job and, and somehow I, I I went to an interview at um, Lloyd's Bank and, and I was quite fortunate that at the time it was it was a young lady that in, interviewed me and, and I think she must have just seen something raw about me I, I, I'm not entirely sure like couldn't say what I said GCSE was I didn't have, any, have, have anything to back me up I didn't hadn't been to any college or university I'd literally just played football and, and had a, and gone through a difficult time and needed needed some help in finding a job and I, I, th- I kind of just expressed myself in that way I think um, said that I'd you know be open to doing anything and, and for some again you know I'm more than, more than thankful to them for some bizarre reason they offered me the job and, and to be honest it did change everything I think it gave me an outlook to what real life was I was to be in at eight o'clock um, on Colmore Row in the centre of town. It was in the headquarters. It wasn't like in a in a branch. And I was 
I was just doing stuff like mandates for business banks and on the phones and stuff. And, and at the start, I thought, this actually isn't too bad. Like, you know, I was, I was meeting new people and I was still playing football for Solihull Moor. So I, I kind of had a bit of both worlds and I was earning enough money to, to now go and really start gambling. And I thought, God, this is good. And I was gambling heavier and, uh, and winning more, sometimes losing a lot more. But I was thinking, it's okay. I'm earning I'm earning quite good money here alongside football money. So I'm on quite a good wage for a, for a young lad. And at the bank, I've I, I become quite likeable just because of my, my, my personality more than anything. It shone through and I ended up getting a, a, a quite rapid promotion to become a business development manager for the bank, which was winning and uh, winning new business for the company. And, and to be honest, it was it was right down my street. It was sales. It was it was going out and meeting clients. It was working then with with account managers to ensure that the the, the account was running smoothly. And and I, again, I thought this is this is good. This is this is a bit of me. And again, uh, more money went on to a very very good wage at the time. It was within it was it was it was around twelve months. Within twelve months, so I was about. 21, 22, wasn't very old. And, and, you know, I think I was on about £50,000 at the bank at the time and plus my football money. So I was earning a lot of money, but all that was doing was going in the bookies. And, and, and I found football kind of just completely went out of my mind then because it was all about money. It, it didn't really matter. I was earning, I was still being able to go on holidays and stuff. And and, and it got to a point then when, when I kept chasing more money. So I ended up going to... Um, a company again only about six months later I thought I need more money I need you know I can get more I can be really successful and end up going to Land Rover um, JLR and, and becoming um, like a business sales manager for, for one of their branches in Stratford upon Avon again six months in I was earning ridiculous money like I'm driving a Range Rover and, and I thought this is alright this is and I'm again I'm still playing football and then it come to one Sunday afternoon and I'll never forget because we had to work weekends in the brand um, in the Land Rover in the Land Rover dealership and it got to Sunday afternoon it was about four o'clock and the villa was on telly and uh, all the lads were down the um, down the pub watching all my, my, my brother and my, my, my friends and I, I remember I was in the disabled toilet um, i never forget it and there was a big mirror and I looked in the mirror and I was about three stone two stone overweight I was pale white I looked ill I was still gambling every day to the mirror and I looked outside I had a Land Rover jacket and I thought okay how on earth have I got here this whether or not I'm on all right money like this is just not like five years three years ago I was playing football professionally five years ago I was the most expensive teenager in the country today I'm sat in a Land Rover dealership that's well overweight gambling heavily and nothing to show for it um, I'd had two relationships break down I'd had numerous arguments with my family numerous arguments with my friends and I, I, I never blamed anyone but, but them and it was that day I looked in the mirror and I thought there was only one person to blame like I didn't have a big loss I didn't I, I've had many big losses but it wasn't a, the, the trigger there was no trigger it was literally looking in the mirror seeing how much overweight I was seeing how I looked in my face just just washed out with it all I just looked I looked like a broken man and I just that was the day I, I remember calling my family on the way home and I said look you know they knew that I, I, I faced a car I said look I really want to get help and this time like from the bottom of my heart I mean it because 
I've lost everything. I've lost relationships. I've lost a lot lot of money and I've lost my the love. The only true love I really have and that was my football. I've lost to the next day I called the Professional Footballers Association and checked in with Sporting Chance um, the following Monday and I've been going ever since the last couple of years. I was there yesterday. It was more intense at the start. Now I just go probably once every couple of weeks um, which now I fund myself. So at the start it was funded from the PFA but once my time with them had kind of finished it was then down to me and I've I seen massive benefits so I'd rather invest in that than certainly what I was investing in about a couple of years ago yeah okay and the, when you're speaking there Ben you can feel the uh, you can feel the emotion you can feel that you know it's still probably raw now yeah. even talking about it for you I appreciate you you're opening up and, and, and putting that putting that across the sporting chance obviously the, the clinic founded by, by by Tony Adams quite famously as soon as you got there and you, you, you you're on that that path did, did you feel as if you were on the path to better things straight away or did it take time I think I think I did straight away I think I think the, for me no matter what industry like you're in and no matter what world you're in because this it's so rife at the moment this sort of mental health and addictions that people don't that, that do get covered up in all aspects and, and all you need really all you need is someone that understands because you don't in my opinion one you need to want to go and get that help yourself so no matter what your organisation do for you no matter what anyone does for you if you don't want to get that help yourself there's no point I went to the NHS numerous times I didn't want to go through the PFA when I was playing because I was scared who might find out and I didn't want anyone to find out my hidden problem so I went I went to the NHS and went to Healthy Minds and Aquarius and stuff and, and for me it just didn't work and I now do stuff with I've, I've done numerous work with um, with the with Gambling Commission and Gamcare and just talking about it because to be honest all these organisations are brilliant and what works for one might work might, might not work for the other and what works for the other might work for one and, and it, there's no there's no right or wrong way it just clicked for me at Sporting Chance it felt like someone he, he, the person you know that I won't name he, he, he just understood and he made me think of things so differently it changed my life like I'm not I'm going to openly say it, that you know and that's why I continue to go to him because at the end of the day that's his sort of I, I look at it and I think he's changed my life and made things better for me so I want to ensure that you know you have a life like in the fact that you know he I pay him so he can feed his family and, and for me he's changed my life so I'd ensure that I keep you know keep that relationship for a long period of time it's interesting what you say there about there's numerous organisations and, and, and charities and places that people can seek help from and it's about just building that relationship with whoever it is that you feel that can empathise with your situation Sport and Chance clearly was going to do that and this individual is invested in in, in you emotionally and, 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 has, and has turned, turned you around and it would have been the empathetic nature that he's come across and, and spoke to you about which is why you keep going back and probably developed into a mentor now I would get Mm-hmm. and allowing you to be a mentor to, to, to other people I think, that's, I think that's the one big thing that you say there but touch your money it's, it's having, that relate, having someone that's relatable that gentleman to be fair isn't relatable to me he just made me think about how relatable I am okay. and made me think you know my my journey's become so much easier and so much better for me because I've been able to share my experiences and, and that's made it better for me that's made me feel like I'm turning that such a negative into a positive because 
I am relatable. Like, no matter where you stick me, I'm young and, and I'll probably do exactly... No, so, you know, for example, I do work in homeless shelters, like we touch upon, but I do work with football clubs, do work in schools, do work across all a range of different environments that no matter where you stick me, I'm relatable because mm. you stick me on a building site, for example, gambling rife on, at the moment within that organisations. You stick me on a building site. I'm relatable because half the young jet, the lads that are there that are, that are gambling are only my age. And, and to be honest, I've, I've done everything that I still go out on a weekend like them. I still, they're probably all, you know, messaging girls during the work day and having a laugh. I am relatable. And, and that's the, the powerful thing that I've got that sometimes when we was at Burton, we used to have people like Tony Adams come in and, and discuss. And that's not relatable because without, without disrespectful to Tony Adams, great work he does. He's a multimillionaire that's made an awful lot of money out of the game. So, and yes, I guess he's gambled an awful lot more. However, he, he's still financially secure. He's never been through the stress that I've been through where I, I haven't been able to, to get the train fare to football. I haven't been able to, you know, put food in my own mouth because of gambling. And, and that's what doesn't make him relatable. What would make me relatable to some of the younger people in the world at the moment. Yeah, I think um, you, you absolutely yeah, bang on what you're saying about that relatability. And I think also what this individual probably did is made you feel valued, you know, which is something that you've probably been battling with, even though there's, you know, the football environment is tough, even though people have spent 70, 70K on you, or was it 70K? Yeah, 70, yeah. yeah you know, it's, it's a decent um, decent amount of money, but you're probably still battling to feel valued even, even with that. And this individual's gone, no, you have got value and made you see the value and being able to let you use the value and I think it's so powerful when, when people just get it you're just like no actually I can see I'm totally relatable I can impact and influence so many people taking all the money aside from it like you probably never even mentioned money it's actually you can help people be better people and help people with their challenges and I think that's a massive turnaround from where you were going on that slippery slope and you no know, fair play to you for one reaching out and saying I need help which, which a lot of people struggle with and, and definitely actually grabbing it and doing something with it which you're doing now I'm sure it's probably part part of your therapy yourself to talk about it but like you say now it's out there and it's open it's like do you know what I'm not hiding anything yeah, anymore I remember I just quit to such a point I remember I was um, seeing a girl and um, I remember she was so embarrassed that about the situation like it kind of drew us apart like she was like you can't talk openly about that like this was before I did and, and you know what I, I remember going back and I remember speaking to my mum and saying like, like this is what the person and, and then I realised to myself I said if someone is going to judge me for my for my, my mistakes then that it's more for that because you know I, I've made mistakes we all made mistakes and I, but I'm not ashamed of who I am like it's, that doesn't make me a, a lesser person all it means is that I've gone on a different road to some people and if I can now share my experiences to make sure another person don't go on that road then I'll do all I can and like you said now people know about it you know there's been numerous you know, different rumours and different things and different this and different that come out in the past because many people within the game and many people in, in the area of Birmingham knew that I, I did have a problem and, and I never would have faced up to it but now nobody can nobody can say anything because I've been as open as, as needs be and now as I say if I can just turn around and help 
make it a positive by helping others. That's all I try and intend to do, really. Yeah, okay. And let's touch on that now, Ben. So you, you, you've created your, your business. Yeah. Talk, talk to us about what you're, what you're doing to, to, to pass on this um, and, and to mentor other people. Yeah, so I've got two, two arms to the business. So there's Premier Progress, which is based um, around helping younger people that deal with mental challenges. So that doesn't just necessarily mean addictions. That could mean their weight. That could mean any any sort of they're they're not very confident whatever it may be Um, and we use football as a target to help people talk so for example when I was a young lad and I was struggling I wouldn't have probably spoken I know it seems hard because I don't mind talking now but I probably wouldn't have spoken across a table to a counsellor whereas if you would have put me on a football pitch I would have expressed myself and you would have been able to get through to me a lot more so that's what Premier Progress does it tackles mental health and and we work with schools who identify children children and we also work with parents who can come forward um, and we do that on a one-to-one basis so there's there's five of us at the moment that work with um, there's five of people that work for me that on the one-to-one basis work with different children to break, break down barriers and make them feel more confident so that then when the time does come if they are wanting to go on and play in a team sport like football they will feel confident to do that we also through Premier Progress go into all 92 football clubs across the country as well as um, the non-league clubs um, which is solely myself talking about my experiences and my story again working with the welfare officers at the football club and the parents to act as a mentor to any player so for example I'm going into Cheltenham Town on the 22nd of this month um, and I'll be doing I'll be doing it with the under 18s and 16s together and then the parents of anything below um, and talking about my story like we have done today. Um, and then if any parents feel that their son is kind of going through that similar situation, they will, I will be a mentor and a point of contact. They can contact me um, and we can discuss the ways that they should go about and the avenues that they should go through. And again, like 16s to 18s, they're old enough then to be adults. If they feel that they need to drop someone a text, because I knew if, if I was, when I was that age, if I could have just found someone that was a couple of years older than me have been through the same situation, knows what it's like to fall out of the game, been a bit worried, they can drop me a text message. I've I've had numerous clubs um, over the past six six to eight weeks since we've been doing that. And I've had, I think I've got now five lads that I'm mentoring at the moment that are playing at a a high level. So there's that part of Premier Progress. And then we've got Premier Mentoring, um, which is the other side, which is more working with with businesses, um, should we say. So we... The, the fundamental part of that is so I've got a contract to work with some Basils to the, the charity to help the young people within the charity who are going through adverse times regain employment and come out of the homeless cycle so it's um, we then partner up with different organisations at the moment I think we've got about four or five who who will kind of take on some of these young people on a work experience basis with the potential of then gaining employment with that employer so again from my my point of view how, how I went about that and how that comes to my sort of mind was when I left football I did not have a clue where to go and and in recruitment I seen that there was there's certainly opportunity to go down the recruitment the recruitment sort of world where you kind of can just put my CV out there however I would like to have trialed what I was doing because if I got to do that opportunity I probably myself with the personality I am might have gone down a different route for example I might have took a trade on or I might have 
I, I don't know what it may have been, but I didn't get that opportunity. So I, I seen it as these young people that are going through adverse times, if they're given as much opportunity and someone that kind of will help them through that process, it might make things better. So yeah, they're, they're the two armors to the kind of, to the businesses, all really around mentoring and, and helping young people, really. Yeah, okay. And that's obviously how we, we came to speak with, with your communications with our Build a Career brand, with Abdul, and we're doing some work with the Karma Housing, with that cycle, the homeless yeah. cycle, and breaking the cycle, getting people back into employment. So uh, I'm sure in time there will be some collaboration between the businesses with, with the links into construction sector, mm-hmm. with, with, with PSL and Build a Career. And I think it's great that you're really taking a, 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 a negative experience and flipping it to a positive sharing your experience demonstrating to people all around that you know you can have challenges but it's about how you overcome them and once you come out the other side not just helping yourself but helping other people as well and it's really really powerful message so ben i do, do appreciate pre- appreciate your time what we'll do is we will link uh, at the bottom of the show note to the website people want to get in touch to speak with you or speak with your business they can do so via, via the website I think just watch the space with you and your progression within you know the the, the, the speaking world or the podcast and also with the work you're doing with education and businesses I think you've got a bright future ahead and appreciate you being uh, so open uh, and inspiring to people today brilliant no my pleasure and yeah hopefully we can uh, do some collaboration in the near future great cheers Ben cheers David